So today's message from the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at the contrast uh, between those who have rejected the love of God in the person of Jesus and, and those who have, or some, or at least one individual that we'll be talking about this morning who has accepted and received the love of God and has been transformed by the power of that love. And uh, the, 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 the contrast is as stark as light is to darkness and life is to death. That's how, that's how visibly different it is in an individual's life or a people's life when they either accept and receive Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ. And uh, so we want to uh, look at this this morning. But the reason why it's important for us to consider a message like this is because if you are a follower of Jesus, just as Jesus was rejected, so we will likewise, the message of the gospel is still going to be rejected. It's going to be rejected by some, and it's going to be received by some. And so this has been the theme throughout this series so far. Uh, I was trying to uh, make a list of uh, the number of uh, cars that I've owned over the last 45-plus years that I've been driving. And uh, quite, quite frankly, I couldn't remember them all. I remembered some of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, the one, the one thing that, that I will never forget, the, it, maybe it's a guy thing, is the first card you've ever owned. And, and uh, we were talking about that a few weeks ago, Richard and Lou and myself, and Richard had, uh, Mr. Richard had sent me some uh, great classic photos of uh, cars, and, and one, of, one of those cars was my car, was, was a Ford Mustang GT, 1966. It was the first year that they made uh, the fastback edition of uh, Ford. Uh, it was a hot car, man. It was, it was, I, I won't say it was a chick magnet because I know I have to go home with my wife later. <laughs> See, but, but it was a hot car, man. Uh, Ford, you know, and all, all the American cars back in the mid-60s, late-60s, didn't have a good reputation as far as, you know, reliability. In fact, f- the acronym for Ford was, F-O-R-D, was Fix or Repair Daily. And I would go out to the car in the morning, you know, after the cars had been parked all night, and I'd, I'd go out and I'd find nuts and bolts and screws on the floors and sometimes in the car, and you know, not very comforting, but that's the way that it was, you know. And uh, I want you to think about this. Uh, that's, that's the way uh, that uh, cars were. But at least it was, it was a great-looking car. It was a hot-looking car. Uh, in fact, some people... Uh, said that the reason why this beautiful girl named Kathy Jean who lived in Brooklyn uh, was interested in me in the first place was because of my hot car. Now, I take offense at that. I mean, I, I really find that offensive that, that, to think that, that now my wife, after 40-something years, would be so shallow as to be attracted to me simply because of my car. I'd rather believe it was my stunning good looks my chiseled features, my jet black hair. It was jet black at one time. My penciled-in mustache. My fisherman, my fisherman knit sweater that I wore on the first night that, that we met. In fact, she stared at me all night long. Couldn't keep her eyes off of me. In fact, my wife was the one who invented this. See? See? If it, 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 it had to be because it's genetic, because my granddaughter Bryn does this all the time, you know? Now, the truth of the matter is, is that I was the one who was staring at her. She probably thought I was a stalker. 
And uh, she, she made me a believer that uh, it's true. You, you can't fall in love at first sight. And, and I've been undone ever since, right? So uh, talking about my car, right? Uh, I, it, 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 was, it was a fast car, and, and, and I wanted to make it faster. I took it to the racetrack. I lived in Queens, but I took it to Long Island racetrack. Uh, went on the drag strip, you know, the, the whole thing with the lights, red, yellow, you know, green, and took off. Didn't do too well. Didn't have good performance uh, tires on my rear. But I wanted, I wanted an edge, you know, the next time I race. So, so what I did was I found this device that is supposed to boost the horsepower between 15 and 20%, and it has to be installed uh, between the carburetor and between the intake manifold. And, uh, you know, so the best person that I knew to do that was actually was Ann's husband, Paul, uh, who was, in his own words, you know, he was, he was a jack of all trades and a, and a master of none. Did he say that? I mean, if I heard that once, I heard it a dozen times. But in my, in my eyes, Paul, my brother-in-law, could do just about anything. He could build anything. He could, he could fix anything. And, and so, you know, it was a no-brainer me to ask him to, to, to install it and not out hold the flashlight, you know. And so uh, in my garage, you know, we took the, the, the air cleaner out, the carburetor out, and, and we slipped that thing in. And, and as he's slipping it in, it breaks. And it breaks in pieces. And the more we try to get it out of the the engine, the, the deeper it falls into the engine. So here, here I was, you know, uh, this bro- these broken pieces in my engine. Now I've got no car and I've got I've to have it towed from my garage to a mechanic who I used in Brooklyn. And uh, I was out of a car for uh, some length of time. And, and uh, I mean, they literally had to take the engine apart and put it back together again. And it was expensive. And you know, here's the point of my story is that the best intentions sometimes are met with disappointments. Uh, sometimes the things that we mean for good turn out to be disasters. You know, I think for my brother-in-law, Paul, probably the, the saying would have, would have fit, no, no good deed goes unpunished, you know. And uh, probably the only thing in his, in his whole life that he ever messed up, you know, when he was, I know he felt terrible about it, but but for me, it was the observation that nothing good really comes easy, that, that there is struggle and there is conflict in this life. In fact, one of the things that Kathy and I discovered when we came to Christ is that there's no exemption from troubles and difficulties and conflict just because we became, you know, children of God, just because we decided to, to be committed to Jesus Christ. In fact, what happened was the very opposite of the point of view that now, you know, life is going to be easy. In fact, it seemed like difficulties and troubles uh, began to uh, increase exponentially because of our commitment to Christ. In time, it became obvious that, that what we were facing was, a, was a, uh, an effort on the part of something or someone to derail our, our walk with Christ and to, and to cause us to either stumble or to be discouraged and to fall away from being followers of Jesus. And and so soon we discovered that we had, a, we had a battlefield at least on three fronts. We, we had the, the battle of, of leaving this world behind that wanted to bring us back. We had the battle of our own sinful nature that was warring against the spirit and the spirit that wars against the, the sinful nature. And of course, then, then there's the tempter who is the accuser of God and the accuser of, uh, of the brethren that we had to deal with. 
But you know, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the troubles, and in, in, in the midst of, of the, this increase of, of, of struggle, uh, also came the, the loving assurance that if God be for you, who can be against you? Uh, we, we began to realize that our Heavenly Father viewed us as the apple of his eye and that he was watching over us, that we have a Savior who intercedes for us and we have a Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us to help us in the midst of all of our struggles. We began literally to live and to stand by every promise of God. We, we discovered that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We began to discover that, that while it's true, many are the afflictions of the righteous or the difficulties or the problems of the righteous, the Lord delivers them out of them all. But I want you to notice that that promise is not the Lord will deliver you from them all. That is that he doesn't prevent them from happening, but the Lord will deliver you through them all and from them all in that sense of bringing you through and coming out the other side. So listen, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, or if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And if you're visiting this morning for the first time, I want you to know that we're so glad that you're here. And if you find yourself in a season of trouble right now, we want to just encourage you. Bible says that God is good to all that call upon him. He's gracious to everyone who calls upon his name. And see, believers, believers know that there is a hostility and there is a rejection factor that comes from, from sharing the gospel, from sharing your, your faith with others. And, and so it doesn't come to us as a surprise. In fact, it comes sometimes, and maybe this is the worst part where it could come from, where Jesus said that it will come to pass that a man's enemy shall be those of his own household. That's probably the worst of all. But it also can happen when you're, when you're in class, when your peers or, or when your professor begins to mock you because of your stands toward faith and toward God. And so there, there's a reaction there. There's a, a rejection there. There's a belittling that comes to you. It, it could happen at the workplace when there, there's a prejudice against you because you have a certain integrity and a certain standard of of, of beliefs that you won't violate. And as a result of that, you'll be passed over for a promotion or you won't be given the recognition that you deserve. Or maybe it comes, you know, in the neighborhood. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been persecuted in your neighborhood, but I sure know what that's like. Kathy and I, probably the, one of the most difficult seasons in our life happened a long time ago, many years ago when our kids were still small. And we reached out to neighbors, our next door neighbors, the neighbors down the block. We reached out to them with the love of, of God and the gospel. And, and it was not just met with kind of indifference or apathy, but it was met with a, a, a visceral uh, animosity and, and, a, and an anger that was generated and, and, and geared mostly toward our children, which was probably the most difficult uh, part of, of that experience. So this comes as no surprise. Jesus said, if they've hated me, know that they've hated, it, it, they will hate you also. And this is, this is just an inevitable fact of, of, of the way things are. So here's the question I want to kind of pose this morning. I want to see if we can come up with, a, with an answer this morning before we finish this message. How do we process rejection? How do we process rejection to the point where we, we, we keep from stumbling or we keep from being offended or we, we, we guard our hearts so that we ourselves are not wounded because we're reaching out to people and there's a rejection that comes to Christ? 
Well, John the Apostle is, is writing here, and he's telling us about the enemies of Jesus Christ, but he's also telling us that because of Jesus, th- th- there are individuals who are going to be rejected because of their connection to Jesus. So at the close of chapter 8, and what we're going to look at is, is the story of the blind man who Jesus heals in, in John chapter 9. But, but the end of chapter 8, the last verse says that the Jewish leaders picked up stones and they, they were attempting to kill Jesus. But Jesus passed through their midst, walked out, and uh, just kind of gave them the slip. You know, but, but that's, this kind of sets the tone for what is to follow. So we pick up in our story now in John chapter 9, verse 1. And so it says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Let me just let me stop here for a minute. This was not a good day for the disciples. Uh, they're interested in philosophizing and in, and in you know, t- discussing theory and theology. They, they don't see what Jesus sees. Jesus sees a man, I mean, think about, you know, being born blind as an infant being blind, as a, as a toddler being blind, not being able to see, experiencing the warmth of the sun, but never being able to see a sunset or a sunrise. And, and Jesus, Jesus sees the necessity of the man. He, he sees the need. He's aroused by, by this man's need. The disciples, they only see a theological question. Who, who was it that caused this man's blindness? Was it was it him when he was in the womb? Was it his parents who had sinned? Verse 6 says this, He spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told the man, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Get this. A creative miracle has just taken place to the point where where he now goes home, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was, it was him. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. Now then, how then, rather, excuse me, were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, the man called Jesus, made some mud, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. I want you to think about this this amazing miracle. Probably, Probably as Great a miracle as the very resurrection of, of or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Here is a creative miracle that's, that's actually such an example for us of, of Jesus coming in sovereign grace. I want you to notice the, the, the man obviously doesn't see Jesus, but like many other blind accounts that we have or, or blind men, 
hearing that Jesus was passing by, well, what did they do? They cry out, they, Bartimaeus, the, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And they tell him, be quiet. And he cries out even louder. Here is silence coming from this man. This man, does, he, he's clueless about who Jesus is or what's going on around him. In fact, he, he seems to have even no cognizance of his own need because, because here, here, is, here is God coming to a man who is in need of a, a desperate touch from God. Here is an example of sovereign grace, God choosing to have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. Unasked for undeserved kindness, the divine mercy of God being demonstrated. But, but, but it comes, listen, it comes on the heels of what I said in chapter 8, that that they picked up stones to, stone, to, to throw at Jesus, to kill him. So, so visceral was their animosity and hatred toward Jesus. They not only insulted him, they said that he was demonized, that he was a Samaritan, that he was a deceiver and a liar. But, but in the midst of that, that doesn't knock Jesus off his game. That doesn't knock Jesus off his mission of mercy, for he comes. And, and it's, like, it's like, listen, God would have been absolutely, you know, a million times over justified to obliterate the human race. You know, just wipe us all out because of all the things that we've done against, against God, against his son. But he doesn't do that. He comes in compassion and tenderness and mercy. So Jesus comes lavishing grace upon this blind, helpless, poor man with rays of healing and mercy. The blind man, the poor man, this, this beggar, this helpless man, really, he's us. This blind man is us. We were, we were lost. This is, this is a man, an example of somebody who is, who is before Christ comes into their life, before grace comes and opens their understanding or the eyes of their understanding. Here is, here is the example of sovereign grace coming into our lives when we were helpless beyond human help or beyond human healing. Here's a portrait of us that Jesus comes to to completely help and to restore and to do such an incredible miracle. He comes to save and he comes to heal and he comes to deliver. Listen, he, it is because it is not only God's God's dominant work, because salvation is of God and God alone can bring about salvation. But, but it's, it's not just his, 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 his entire work, it's his preeminent work. It's what he delights in. He, he's not a reluctant savior. He, he, he is not a savior who had his arm twisted to leave heaven to come. No, he, he is one who has delighted in the sons of men and who, and who desires to bring forgiveness and salvation to as many that would call upon his name. This is a parable in action. It is God coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to give sight to the blind, to give, to give us spiritual sight and discernment for the value of who he is as a person. And the, the significance of it is, listen, if you want somebody to see, you don't put mud in their eyes. But Jesus bends down and he takes clay. You remember, remember what we said in, in John chapter 1, that, that he is the creator by whom all things were made. 
And, and, and how did he make men in the first place? By, by making men out of the dust of the ground and breathing into him the breath of life. And here is Jesus taking the dust, taking the clay and, 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 and fixing what was broken in this man's life. Adding that part of the man that was missing out of the very substance that we were originally made out of, out of the clay itself. Because as the master potter, he takes broken things and he makes them new. He takes, he takes the brokenness of our life and he makes beautiful things out of the dust. And he says, go and wash. What a, what a transformation. The people that see him, they said, he looks like him, but he's, he's not him. And others said, yeah, he is him. And he said, himself said, yes, it's me. What happens to us when grace comes into our life is that transformation begins to take place. Some people don't recognize us anymore because we are undergoing a process of change. Old things are passing away. Beholding all things are becoming new. There's a new set of principles, a new set of priorities, a new set of desires come into our life. I love this guy because in his silence, his silence speaks louder than many people because what he does is he implicitly obeys Jesus. Jesus says, go and wash, and he went and he washed. Just like the nobleman that we spoke about last week, he doesn't reason with Jesus, doesn't question Jesus, doesn't argue with Jesus, doesn't say, this is kind of ridiculous. You put mud in my eyes, how am I going to see? He just implicitly obeys. And just like the nobleman who implicitly obeyed, see, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Jesus. And he goes, and faith always precedes the workings of God or the miracle working of God. What a beautiful illustration of sovereign grace at work. So we pick up in the story at verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, they, they brought him to the Pharisees. And so they asked him, how did you receive your sight? And he replied, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how could a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. That kind of division is not a bad thing. Finally, they turned again to the blind man and said, right, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that were open. And the man replied, he's a prophet. So first, it was a man called Jesus. And now there's something added to him. There's a revelation that is beginning to, to, to build up here. You see, when we begin to walk in the light that God gives to us and we walk in that light, he gives us more light. He gives us more understanding. The revelation of who Christ is, we first see him as, as the man called Jesus. But soon we discover that he's more than a man. He's God's spokesman, but he's actually more than a prophet as well as we shall see. And so it says in verse 18, then the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know this is our son, they said. We know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he could speak for himself. But now notice why his parents said that cautiously the way they did. For his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. 
because the Jews had decided that anyone who would acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. I tell you what, you, 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 you would have thought for a moment that these parents would have been ecstatic, that they would have, that they would have said, my God, what a miracle has, has, has come to pass, that what a miracle has been done on our own child. We, we raised this child. We knew he was blind. You see, miracles are never the gateway into faith in Christ. But believing in the simplicity of the word of God is that gateway into faith in Christ. Right from the very beginning, this man's loyalty, his courage, and his faith are going to be put to the test. Folks, if you don't know this already, if you've been walking with the Lord for a short period of time, your loyalty, your courage, your faith will also be put to the test. You will be tried and you will be tempted and you will experience all that this man has experienced in some measure or another. But know this, that when it happens, when it comes to pass, that just as Jesus comes alongside of us, even so, Jesus came alongside of this man. And you know what? It was grace that saved him and it was grace that was going to keep him. It was grace that was going to bring him to this place of understanding and testifying. And you know what? This guy shows himself to be faithful. He shows himself to be courageous. He shows himself to not back down when the pressure is on against him. Jesus was more than a prophet and soon he would discover just who Jesus really was. You know, it's amazing. They, they wanted to discredit Jesus by discrediting the follower of Jesus. And that's the same thing that happens over and over again. People want to discredit God, discredit Jesus by discrediting you, by, by raising up an accusation against you and me. But the fact of the matter is, is that they used the idea that he healed on the Sabbath, being blind and being ignorant, these, these religious leaders were to the, to the purpose of the Sabbath in the first place, that man was not made for the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath that was made to serve man. You are allowed to do acts of mercy and, and to do deeds of necessity on the Sabbath, but they were blind to this. I was reading about a, an Orthodox uh, Jewish couple living in Brooklyn. And there was a fire that started in their apartment. And uh, they had to ask permission of the rabbi. They couldn't use the phone, fearful. This orthodox couple was fearful that if they used the phone, it would, it would be the breaking of an electrical circuit, which meant in their mind that would be equivalent to work. And they couldn't do that because they were, didn't want to violate the Sabbath. And so the, the rabbi was asked the question, are we allowed to call the fire department or not? And the rabbi said, let me think about that. And 30 minutes later, later, the rabbi said, yeah, it's okay to call the fire department. But by then, everything in their apartment was destroyed. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created to serve man. I tell you what, that's the same spirit, that same anti-Christ spirit that is even at work today amongst us. The religious leaders objected and they sought to discredit on the basis of 
this rule about the Sabbath, but, but they made the word of God void by their vain traditions. And there was a division among them. You know, I, I wonder, what was that Nicodemus who raised up his voice of opposition? There were at least some in the Sanhedrin who were sympathetic toward Jesus, open, but they were afraid, just as the parents were, of being excommunicated, that is being put out of the synagogue. What I want you to see this morning is this, is that grace was enabling this man. First of all, it was the sovereign grace coming to him. It was the sovereign grace that healed him. And it was the sovereign grace that was able to draw him even into a closer relationship with Christ. So let's pick up at the conclusion of the story in verse 24. It says this, a second time they summoned the man that had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. How many of us have said that same thing? When we sung that song, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I say, that's us. That's exactly our experience. Then they asked him, what, what did he do to you? How, how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you're his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that, that God spoke to Moses. But for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. Now, that is that, this spirit of religion. They said, we're disciples of Moses. If you know the story of Moses, you know that there was opposition to Moses. That the people back in that generation, they resisted Moses. They picked up stones to throw at Moses. They, they murmured against Moses. They fought against Moses. And that's what a religious spirit does. It honors what God did a long time ago because that's irrelevant to your life today. But it wars against, it resists what God is doing presently. And, and, and as a result of that, that's exactly where these guys were. They were being controlled and dominated by a, a, a malignant and an evil spirit. Verse 30 says this, the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of one born blind. If this man were from God, he could, do, he could not, if he was not from God, he could not do anything or he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. That is, they excommunicated him. And I love this, these last two lines. Then Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, that is, that they had excommunicated him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Or he says, who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you now see him? In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And the man said, listen, he's gone from a man named Jesus to he's a prophet to Lord. Adonai, which is the name of God. He says, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And only God receives worship. And Jesus said to Satan, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. And Jesus is accepting worship at this, at this devoted believers now 
now, now feet, or, or Jesus at Jesus' feet. And, and the fact of the matter is, what an amazing conclusion to this story. Here's a man, helpless, hopeless, blind, poor, whose life is now transformed by grace. Grace comes to him. Grace supplies his need. You know, he goes through this trial and he's courageous. He doesn't back down for one single moment. And you know what? I could say the same thing about us. When we go through trials, when we go through, 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 just like that song goes, through many different dangers and toils that have already come, was grace that brought me here thus far. And it's grace. Listen, what is the thing, no matter what you're going through right now, what you need to know is that God has grace for you that is sufficient for you in every circumstance and in every situation. To discover that in the midst of your weakness, his strength is perfected by the acknowledgement of our weakness. But the point of our story, as I've as I shared with you before, is that this man's hopeless and helpless, he is a picture of us. He's a picture of our coming and receiving the grace of God. We didn't seek him, he sought us. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And he comes out of infinite love and mercy to bring us into a relationship with us. And whether you're following the Lord for 40 years or for 40 days, the plan of God is the same, that you would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that you would grow in the revelation of who Jesus is to you and the value of his person to the point where you come to realize that Jesus is our exceeding great reward. So I asked the question a little while ago, how do we process personal rejection for the cause of the God? How do, we, how do we keep from being wounded and keep from being discouraged when conflict comes as a result of of our connectedness to Jesus. And what, what I want you to understand this morning, what I want you to see and take away this morning is that the joy of our connection to Jesus is greater than all rejection. Just as Jesus was able to endure the conflict with sinful men, just as Jesus was able to endure the cross, despising the shame, it was for the joy that was set before him. You know, in one place Jesus said, he said, blessed are you to the point of being envied when men speak ill about you, when they, when they accuse you falsely for all manner of things for my name's sake. And then he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Over and over again, the New Testament tells us that we're to count it all joy when we enter into various trials and, and difficulties and troubles because we know this, that God is at work in this. We discovered this, that, 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 that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. We come out the other side. God knows that through these trials and through these testings, our faith is proven. We become a... a a deeper follower of Jesus Christ through it all. And we, and we know that it was grace that kept us and grace that, 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 that is able. We have this assurance from Jesus because he was rejected. Because, listen, the greatest rejection of all isn't a rejection that comes from men, but the greatest rejection of all comes from God rejecting you. If God rejects you, you're undone. You have, you have no hope. You are without eternal blessedness. You, you, 
I mean, it, it is the worst possible scenario. But because Jesus Christ himself was rejected by the Father, was abandoned, was forsaken by God, so that we would not be rejected and forsaken and abandoned by God. Jesus gives us this assurance, anyone that will come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That is joy that's set before us, that Jesus is our exceeding great reward. So the joy of our connection to Jesus is far greater, infinitely greater than, than, than any other rejection. Our connectedness to Jesus and the joy that he brings is so great. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that you supply our every need by your riches and glory in Christ. And I just pray for anybody this morning that they find themselves in a season of trial or difficulty or stress, that they will come to discover some of those promises that we mentioned this morning, that you are faithful, Lord God, to all that call upon your name. And if there's anyone here this morning that is, that is not a follower of, of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that their hearts would be opened, that just as you initiated coming to the blind man, that he didn't come to you, you came to him, that you saw me so many years ago, that you saw my wife and you came to us and you brought healing to us and healing to our marriage and, and healing to our lives. And you came to so many that are in this room in different places, in different times. And you initiated grace by coming into our life, giving us the mercy that we didn't ask for, giving us the, the divine kindness that we didn't deserve. But because of who you are, because this is what you do. You, you are a savior who delights in saving men. I pray that some will turn to you today and find forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you will confess, just ask Christ even now, just that, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And he will wash you in his blood. He will make you a king and priest unto his God. He'll bring you into a relationship with him and he will not cast you out. See, that is, that is the grace of God coming to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. Believe on his name this morning. And for those of you that need encouragement, that need strength this morning, those of you who are followers of Jesus, Father, I pray for them that grace would come to them in their situations, in the, in, the, in the tough places, Lord God, that just as you came to this man when he was cast out, so you come to us in the midst of our problems and you reveal yourself on a deeper level. My Lord and my God, how glorious you are. Amen. Let's all stand together and worship one more time.